Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to episode 22. Yes, we are already Emmett Smith episodes into the in all kinds of weather forecast. And I am your host, Dustin Smith. And you can find me on Twitter at IAKOW Dustin. As always, we've got in all kinds of weather creator and founder Neil Schulman with us today. And you can follow him at all kinds weather. Casey isn't able to join us today, but we do have a third member of the In All Kinds of Weather team with us, and he is none other than Joey Vizzy, who writes articles on the website as a contributor, and we're so glad to have him here today. Neil, Joey, how's everything going? Good, brother. Going well, man. Glad to glad to have you on, Joey. We've had quite a history together, and it's glad to finally have you on uh, this particular piece of the In All Kinds of Weather brand. You've written stuff, um, and you know you've you've spoken on I think Mark Moses's show, and uh, used to be on Gators Breakdown before too. And uh, now you're you're finally speaking with your voice as opposed to typing with your fingers on behalf <laughs> of In All Kinds of Weather. So good to good to have you on board, man. Yeah, it's great. Um, Neil, you know, you and I have been together since the beginning of In All Kinds of Weather back in, uh, what, 2014, was it, uh, when we started this thing? 2013, and, uh, November, and November, but yeah. 13? November okay. November okay. 13. Yep. Hey, it you're was not the getting... miserable Will Muschamp years. <laughs> that's, that's, all, that's all I remember. That's, 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 that's all we covered for those two years was how bad of a coach Will Muschamp was. Finally, yeah. now how it comes full circle, how he's now getting paid yeah. by two different schools to stay as far away from them as possible. I wish I could. By the way, let's just take a <laughs> let's just take a, take a quick second to to think about that. I wish I could be so bad at a job that I get paid twenty two million dollars to not do it. Just just think about that. That's like <laughs> Charlie Weiss. That's like Charlie Weiss. When Charlie Weiss got uh, left the Gators after one season, he literally was getting paid a buyout from. Kansas City from Notre Dame and he was literally making like 12 million dollars a year to not work at those two places and just think Muschamp's getting paid almost double that <laughs> yeah unbelievable unbelievable I wish any I wish any other job or any other any other genre of jobs in the country worked that way what a place man what a, what a place college football is <laughs> well Joey you're you're certainly an insightful person, and I'm incredibly thrilled to have you on. So today we're going to preview the Gators' upcoming game against the Vanderbilt Commodores. But because Florida has already played six games and because they presumably have six games left with an SEC championship game and a bowl game in their future, and I happen to think it's actually seven games left, and we'll leave it at that, we're also going to declare this as our unofficial mid-season special episode in which we'll take a look back of what we've seen so far and talk about what we're hoping to see as our team is in the second half of the season. Before we get to that, we got to talk about the sponsors. And Neil, you are so good at telling our listening audience about our sponsors. So go for it, Neil. Take it away. 
Just done it enough times, man. Um, yeah, let's do this. So as usual, we're proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that works to send an underprivileged Gator fan to the swamp. Of course, because of COVID, we're doing a virtual campaign this year. We are looking for candidates to provide that virtual experience too this year, but we're looking to pick a candidate pretty soon. So if you believe that you or someone you know is worthy, last chance, y'all please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Again, that is GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. Secondly, we're proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and they'll deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are two great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One, it's a veteran-owned business, especially around the time of Veterans Day. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving them business. And two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan. So not only do they do great work, but they do great work and they're owned by a Florida Gator fan who happens to be a U.S. veteran. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. That is stingraybranding.com. And speaking of veterans, Joey, I believe you are a veteran. So thank you, sir. On behalf of Dustin and Casey and the rest of our contributors, thank you so much for your service. Oh, thank you, Neil. I appreciate that. Thank you. Absolutely. And to all the men and women that served, I, I appreciate and respect you and and I always say that, you know, all gave some, but some gave all. And uh, to those that lost a loved one and a friend and a family member, um, you know, that served um, to war, uh, they're, they're heroes too. The family are heroes just as much as those that gave their lives because they still suffer to this day without their loved one there. Well put, sir. Yes, Joey. Well, you're a true American patriot. And you've, you've served our country well, and we really love the Gators. But there's something bigger than football and, and sports. It's uh, the country that we call home. And to everybody that, that served the country, that served the United States of America in one way or another, while it, whether it's in the armed forces or even now as we look to uh, a season that's been utterly transformed by the COVID-19 pandemic. I consider those who are in uh, the line of duty in the medical profession as people that are serving this nation. And to whoever you are, uh, as a first responder, as a member of the armed forces or um, the police, uh, whatever it might be, um, you, are, you are putting yourself in harm's way, and that's a super big deal. I definitely wanted to take the time out of our pod to say that, and uh, we're excited. And it couldn't be more appropriate as we as we come out of the Veterans Day uh, festivities that that came of our previous game. Let's let's move on to discussing football. So we're going to leave the Vanderbilt talk to the end of the podcast. Um, first order of business, we forgot to do this on our Arkansas post game pod, but we love to hear what you guys, our listeners, have to say about things. So we're going to start off our show today by reading and discussing some of your comments on the air. So, Neil, what fan comment stuck out to you? 
So I'll go with the tweet from Ryan Sharlock. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, at Sharlock Ryan. If that's not how you pronounce it, I'm sorry. Uh, the defense played better than the 35 indicates. Garbage time, touchdown, and some busted assignments. Clean up the big mistakes that lead to TDs as season goes along, and we are good. I think for the most part, that's where I am with this defense. I do think that some fans, and I'm not saying Ryan is one of them, but there are some fans out there who do think that those big plays are flukes or anomalies and are going to be easier to clean up than they really will be in actuality. The fact that we surrendered three huge plays that went for a total of 212 yards, an 83-yard touchdown run by Traylon Smith, and touchdown passes of 47 and 82 yards from Felipe Franks to Mike Woods. I think, I think that's 212, right? Yeah, yeah, that is 212 yards. So three plays for 212 yards is a pretty big problem because each time it requires somebody to really mess up his assignment for the play to go for that many yards. But ultimately, yes, I, I agree. Fix that, though. It is a tougher task than some realize, but fix that, and we should be good on defense. Joey, what tweet did you take? Um, Stitch and stab. Um, Anyone who doesn't have Trask at number one in the Heisman is a fraud. Uh, That's my favorite because, (laughs) honestly, I mean, I – I pretty much on yesterday went on a diatribe on Twitter and literally went in on Alabama fans that were all over Mac Jones yesterday when Mac Jones didn't even play on Saturday. Mac Jones's numbers aren't even close to Trask's touchdowns, 16 interceptions, three Uh, Trask is 28 to three. Um, Also Mac Jones is not even the best player on his offense. Najee Harris is. Uh, Kyle Trask is obviously the best player on Florida's offense. Um, And everybody, uh, I saw a lot of Texas A&M fans say, oh, well, Trask lost to Texas A&M. First of all, uh, Florida punted once in that entire game. Uh, It wasn't Trask's fault that, you know, the defense couldn't stop a nosebleed. The defense literally was wet paper in that game, and Trask still hung 38 points on Texas A&M and was a Malik Davis fumble away from probably – getting the game-winning touchdown. So uh, that argument goes right out the window. And then I saw other people say, oh, well, he's not even the best quarterback in the country. It's Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. That's true. That's probably true. But guess what? When Robert Griffin III won the Heisman over Andrew Luck, he wasn't better than Andrew Luck, but his numbers were. When Lamar Jackson won the Heisman over Deshaun Watson, he's not a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. He wasn't that year either. But his numbers were better. So that, that is my favorite one by far because I, that resonates with me. Um, also, uh, another one that I really liked was from Fishing Gator fan, uh, Josh. Uh, Tony keeps him showing improvement as a complete receiver with the little things. Um, I love that because I absolutely feel that comment. Kadarius Tony has literally earned himself millions of dollars this year um, yep. in the NFL. Uh, he had a better rap career uh, before this season. And uh, uh, this year, he looks like he's going to be a – he could be a star player on a team, on an offense. The guy's almost impossible to bring down with one guy. Um, he runs routes better than he has his entire career. You know, that just goes to show what McElwain did not do with him when he was at Florida. And now that, uh, you know – uh, Billy, Billy G's got a hold of him right now, and he's actually turning him into a true wide receiver. 
Um, I think that's absolutely fantastic comment. And, um, and, and I think that's a big reason why Florida's offense is ranked uh, six in the entire country in total offense right now. Well, if you're going to go with two, then I'm going to go for a second one too. And I'm going to give a shout out to Sidney Noel at Sid Steinberg eight, who said, can't help but think about when Ben Hill caught on fire back in September. We should have known then the Gators would be lighting up the scoreboard. Gator emoji, fire emoji. Love it. You know, I've been waiting for someone to say that all year. After the first couple weeks of watching this offense, I figured it was just a matter of time before somebody made that comment, and Sydney did it. And I love that because, yeah, Florida is torching teams left and right, and they are on fire as a team. So, yeah, that that was was a pretty good omen. I like that. Good job, Sydney. I appreciate that. Um, well, I can't help but but mention that that fire was probably the the burning away of the the remainder of whatever Will Muschamp left when he destroyed our offense back in the early 2010s. So uh, that's what they call the the last deck. <laughs> I think that was Florida just burning all the pictures they had left of Jim McElwain on top of that shark. <laughs> True. <laughs> Whatever it was, it worked. So uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to read one. This one is from Marvin Cohen. And you can follow him at Marv C from GNV. I like that. So, and he says this, Trask delivered yet another, yeah, I did all caps, Heisman-worthy performance, and finally, a Gator defensive touchdown. Defense still a work in progress moving forward. I think that about encapsulates the entirety of the game. As I mentioned on the previous podcast, the Gators were absolutely electric. They were phenomenal. And that offense was led by Kyle Trask. And his Heisman hopes are no longer... That's no longer a pipe dream anymore. I know preseason, I know I got some flack for uh, possibly prematurely launching the, the Kyle Trask Heisman hype train. But I think I'm right, guys. It aged pretty well. I think I did the right thing. <laughs> that, that take of yours definitely aged pretty well. Yeah, I, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Trask eviscerated Georgia. And I, I know Georgia was missing – some talent in the in the in the defensive backfield but still to do that against that type of depth I mean we talked about it against Arkansas but but many people expected that game to be more of a lackluster performance in the passing game Arkansas but, had the best pass defense in the conference going exactly. into that game yeah so I mean I'm I'm speechless I'm I really am to 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 see what we've seen from Kyle Trask and what, what I loved about the game. And, you know, it's again, something that we could pull from this tweet. Uh, we did not have Kyle Pitts and our tight ends, namely Keon Zipper is still rolled, still played well. Obviously we got Kyle Pitts like hands performance, you know, I know all state is in one of our sponsors, but I got to throw in the all state good hands Shout out to Justin Shorter and, and that catch he made. Also, Neil, can we check with the legal team? Are we allowed to say that? 
I'll, I believe I believe that that is going to be allowed in this instance. Okay. I believe we'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, and move this forward. I know we could talk about that for a long time, but you know, I'm gonna shut up. Let's go. So, let's continue and talk about what we've seen in the first half of the season. Joey, you're our guest. Let's start with you. There's obviously a lot of things to choose from here, but what has stuck out the most to you about Florida's offense so far? Well, see, I'm a numbers guy, Dustin. Um, always have been, uh, always will be. Uh, let's start with this little nugget. So, seven touchdowns, or excuse me, seven passing touchdowns that the Gators had on Saturday night was just the seventh time uh, in school history that that has happened. Also, uh, Dan Terry Dean and Danny Warfel are the only QBs in UF history with more than one six-touchdown game like Kyle Trask has had this year. Uh, that's pretty good company. Um, and I, I just – obviously, Florida's passing offense is ranked fourth in the country right now. Their total offense is ranked sixth. Um, and if it weren't for the rushing offense, ranked 63rd, I believe, uh, Florida's – total offense number would probably be closer to the one mark um, right now. But, um, and Florida's 275 points this season is the, in, is the third highest total in the first six games of the year uh, behind the 96 team and the 94 team, Neil. Uh, that's pretty good company to be in. Uh, those were probably Spurrier's greatest offensive teams, uh, that in the 2001 team um, that went to the Orange Bowl that year with Sexy Rexy. But, you know, just these numbers alone <clears throat> just show how elite of an offensive coach that Dan Mullen is. We can't understate uh, the fact that just three years ago in 2017, uh, this offense was ranked 101st in the country, Neil. Um, you remember how awful that year was. You know, McIlwain got fired for the death threat comments. But in McIlwain's tenure, our, the Florida offense was ranked no higher than 87th at one point in time throughout that season. So uh, the night and day change that Mullen has brought to this team on the offensive side of the football is something to be marveled, something to be excited about. And, and you know, as much as we talk about the offense, Neil, I got some numbers for you. Top, third down in Grantham against Georgia, two of 13 third downs converted for Georgia. That's it against Arkansas, three of nine third downs converted. The defense is coming into its own right now and playing the best it's been all year right in the meat of the schedule. So let's give hats off to, to the defense for maybe not being great, but being a lot better than they were a month ago. And I, I just can't say enough about those numbers right there because third down conversions were Florida's Achilles heel for the first half of the season, for, for, for the first three or four games of the season. Well, we're going to talk about defense in a lot more depth later on, but that is that is um, definitely an, an anti third and Grantham stat you just brought out there. That does that does speak volumes about our defense. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this is the best offense that Dan Mullins ever had. I really do. I think that, that as either a head coach or a coordinator, I think it's better than the 2008 offense because. If you remember that offense, yeah, it was sensational. But you're a numbers guy, Joey. Well, let's look at the numbers. First 
few games of the year, they didn't really do so well. I mean, they were shut out for a quarter against Hawaii. They were basically silenced for three quarters against Miami. They took the whole last three quarters off of the game against Tennessee. Um, An Ole Miss, they lost in the game by continuing to fumble the ball away. And Arkansas that year, in a way, it took them three quarters to really figure out what they were doing. This offense in 2020, with no spring practice and limited summer ball, has hit the ground running with 51 against Mississippi and not really taking a step back ever since. So, I mean, the weapons. God, Kyle Trask, I think is – I think you can make the comparison with Joe Burrow last year. I think a lot was said this this offseason about how he could be this year's Joe Burrow, and it was met with a lot of dismissal. And they are different types of quarterbacks, sure, but the career trajectory does look very similar. And his first year as a starter, a lot of people who watch Trask would say, yeah, you know, he's he's pretty good, but he's a real Heisman contender now. And being talked about as a future – potentially even the future face of an NFL franchise if he keeps getting better because the improvements he's shown so far make that seem like a very realistic possibility because he's just so accurate. He's so quick with his decision-making and he's so intelligent and there have been clear signs of development with him, which I think is something we haven't really seen since Tim Tebow. So the thing that's really stuck out to me about this offense is that yeah, Kyle Trask has lots of weapons. There's no doubt about that. But he's not just a really good QB anymore. He is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate, and that is not something that I would have thought I would say this offseason. So, Dan Mullen, let's just look at the QBs he's had in his under his tutelage. Two-star Dak Prescott, two-star Alex Smith. Nobody wanted either of those guys. Uh, Alex Smith uh, was the number one pick in the draft. Dak Prescott obviously did not go in the first couple of rounds of the draft, but he was the face of the Dallas Cowboys the last several years, and he's probably going to be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL after the season as long as his ankle's okay. Uh, just the development alone in both of those guys, Trask, nobody wanted him. He was a backup, obviously, in high school. We all know the story. So this this is just another – another uh, check mark on his LinkedIn profile, you know, another, another thing that he could put on there. Um, and, and I mean, just, there's just no denying how, how great uh, his, his quarterback development is. He's, I mean, there, there's no debating also that Trash deserves some of that praise. He's obviously a special talent that everyone just overlooked. Of, of course, Mullen gets a lot of the praise too, because he is the one coaching him, but I mean, Trask was looking good in spring ball in 2016 and 2017. He wasn't getting going to get the chance to play because Florida had guys like Del Rio and Appleby and then later Malik Zaire and Felipe Franks, who Florida had invested more in, so they were obviously going to get the looks before him. But he looked good in those spring games. He looked good in those spring practices. So there's something to be said about him really taking a skill set that I don't think a lot of people really recognized – and continuing to stay the course and work at it. And now people are finally seeing what he's capable of. And I don't think it's news to him. I don't think he surprised himself. I think he surprised the whole world and he absolutely deserves all the credit for that. So, yeah, I, I agree a hundred percent. Again, when you look at this offense and you look at what they're doing and the ease of what they're doing, it's absolutely mind boggling. I know that we as Gator fans tend to have short memories, 
But even in even on last year's offense, we could not move the ball consistently down the field to the extent we're doing now. We had issues on the offensive line. I don't know how many times we would be. I know Neil for sure, but we were complaining about uh, Gene Gene Delance missing uh, missing blocks. Uh, a lot of a lot of that Auburn game, we were we were completely cringed over the amount of hits that Kyle Trask took. One that actually took him out of the game for a series. I can't say the same right now. The offensive line is doing great. They're not perfect. I don't think there's any perfect offensive line in the country. But if I could be honest with what the Gators are doing from the line of scrimmage, and the reason why I'm going there is because that's where it all starts. Okay, it doesn't matter if you have uh, Larry Fitzgerald to your left and you have uh, Odell Beckham to your right. I mean, if you don't have an offensive line to protect the quarterback, you're not going to make any plays on offense. You're not going to be able to make the throws. You're not going to have time to make the throws. The offensive line is doing an exceptional job. And because the offensive line is doing a great job, it is not only opening up the pass game, but it's also opening up the running game. And as the season continues to go on, I expect the carries to continue to pick up. In fact, against Vanderbilt, we'll get to it. But I I look to see um, our entire stable running backs get quite a bit of carries. I kind of leave my discussion at that. Let's go ahead and talk about Kyle Trask. So, guys, a lot has been made about Kyle Trask being up for the Heisman Trophy. I don't think at this point that anybody thinks he isn't at least in the conversation. And if you don't think he's in the conversation, go to watch some Gator football and you'll, you'll, your mind will be changed pretty quickly. But anyway, let me, let me take my uh, orange and blue glasses off and ask each of you this question. What do you think he has to do between now and the end of the season to actually win the Heisman Trophy? Okay, so I think the numbers, first of all, have to stay about what they've been up to this point. He's got to keep throwing for north of 350 yards and at least four touchdowns in every game because Florida doesn't really face a great defense between now and the end of the regular season. So he's got to keep pouring on the data. And then he's got to beat Alabama for the SEC championship game. Doesn't matter how big or small his stats are. Doesn't matter how pretty or ugly that game is. Just beat Alabama. Just get the win over the Crimson Tide because they've got their own Heisman candidate. Fair or not, I think he is in the conversation in Mac Jones. And beating him head-to-head for a conference championship would make a statement that I think is pretty hard for the Heisman voters to be able to ignore. So just just keep doing what you're doing, um, which I don't see any reason to believe he won't. Um, and then just beat Bama. And I, and I really do think it is all his. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's pretty much – if he continues along the same track, you know, another thing I tweeted out yesterday was, or on Saturday night was that Danny Warfel's SEC record of 39, which he set in 96. Um, Trask is only 11 away from that with four games left. Um, I think that's going to be shattered. Um, you know, obviously he could throw three touchdowns a game and still beat that. Um, but I, I think that he, if he just continues doing what he's doing now, um, he doesn't need to throw six touchdowns every game, but as long as he's throwing four plus and he's 
pretty much just shredding defenses, which he's been doing. But that Alabama game, that's probably going to determine the Heisman Trophy winner, like you said. Who's going to show up? Um, if if Mac Jones lays an egg and, and Trask performs well, I, you know, I think it's solidified. So, but I, I think that's going to be a classic. Uh, the winner of that goes to the college football playoff. The winner of that wins the Heisman Trophy. So that that game is is pretty much circled on everyone's calendar as probably the most important game of the year. So I completely agree. I think you're right. I think we. You know, in going going in theme with what you guys have already said, that Alabama game is going to do it. If he puts on a show in that game, I think that I think he could even put a case for himself in a loss. It, it depends a lot on what it looks like. It is, especially if he's competing because Mac Jones, Jones is one to be right. Yeah, but and Najee Harris. Kyle you know, Trask if, might wrap it up before that game even takes place, Neil. Right. Say Mac Jones goes out and lays an egg, you know, in a game or two towards the end of the season, Alabama squeaks out, you know, close win. I mean, Trask could literally vault himself to number one, clear number one before that game even happens. I don't think that's likely, Yeah, if though. you include the SEC. I just don't see that happening. It's not likely, but it's possible. I mean, it's not. Well, likely, yeah, and this possible. Frankenstein of a year, anything is possible, sure. But I don't. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm trying to keep yeah, this well, Joey, within the basis of reality you know as when possible. They're announcing the Heisman is it? Do you know when the January fifth for the Heisman's going? January fifth. Well, hey Joe. January fifth. Okay. Hey Joey, your numbers, guys. Yes. So I'm a big fan of taking the statistics where they're currently at in the season and running some some uh, little little equations. That pan it out and try to project what the rest of the season is going to look like. And Kyle Trask is on pace to throw, um, if you include the SEC title game, about 4,000 on the season. A little, maybe a little under 4,000, but pretty close to 4,000 yards. And he's also on pace to throw 50 touchdown passes. Damn. And yeah. under seven interceptions, which is a which is a big yeah. deal. 50 touchdowns to seven interceptions, almost 4,000 passing yards in a COVID year, as it's been said. That's, those are pretty solid stats. And I don't think there's anyone else in the country besides the BYU quarterback who's going up against no-name no defenses um, who's going to be able to put up those kind of numbers. Even Alabama and what Matt Jones is doing, yeah, he's putting up yards – but I think, if I'm not mistaken, thus far he has only 16 touchdowns, which is quite a and, bit. And if Florida were to make the playoff and go to the championship game, then you're talking about him scaring Joe Burrow 60 last year. Oh, yeah. True. Then that and comes into play. In potentially, think about it, 10 games plus a conference title game, right, plus two playoff games, 13 games. Joe Burrow got 15 Yep. Yeah. to do that in. Yep. And he played a couple scrub teams oh, yeah. last year, too. It's true. Oh, yeah. And if you look at the, the upcoming games, you look at a Vanderbilt team, which Kyle Trask should, not saying he's going to play enough of the game to do so, but he should throw for close to 400 passing yards. He should get five to six touchdowns. Um, you know, you look at Kentucky, Tennessee, I'm not afraid of their passing defense and then of course LSU who's 
been a crapshoot from that side of the ball too. I don't so, think that's fair that Florida's going to have to play LSU and Alabama's going to get away from that game and only play nine games this year, which I think is going to happen. I, I don't I don't like that at all. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's right. Yeah, but see, I have a feeling Alabama's going to have to play someone on December 12th to get a 10th game in. I mean, you're right. Like, as it stands right now, I think that's very true, that that's not fair and that's not right, that they would only have to play nine games before facing us in Atlanta. But I don't think it's going to play out that way. I don't know if they'll push the whole season back and have Alabama play LSU on December 19th and then play the SEC championship game on December 26th, or if they'll just give Alabama a 10th game against a team like uh, South Carolina, say, who they haven't played yet this year and who doesn't currently have a game scheduled for December 12th or what they'll do. But I'm pretty confident that the SEC will force Alabama to play a 12th game against someone, if for no other reason than, you know, money. And if it turns out that they don't have to play LSU and we do, well, I couldn't think of a better year for that. And LSU is not what they were last year. That, well, that's not even – No, no, LSU is awful. They might even shut the program down soon. I don't even know uh, with everything that's going on over yeah, there. Yeah, they, they got the – red yeah. stick. They, 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 they got some <laughs> skeletons that have just been starting to get un- unveiled there. So that is going to be worth yeah. keeping on. But I feel like we've talked a lot about Trask and the offense, but we have a defense too to talk about, don't we, Dustin? Oh, yeah, we have a defense that is... We do, we do. <laughs> yeah. We didn't at first in the yeah. year, but we do now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're pretty good. They're, I mean, they're not, they're not great. They're not, um, they're not, it's not a game-breaking defense. It's not the, the defense we had in, in 2012 or, or 2008, but it's okay. We don't really need that kind of defense. We need a defense that can stop the opponent from scoring as many points as our offense is going to score. And at this point, I think ex- with the exception of the Texas A&M game, I think our defense has done pretty good thus far at accomplishing that task. Yeah. So yeah. early in the year, it was pretty bad. We're not holding back any kind of criticism on the show. Neil, you remember all too well when I gave the defense an F. And it wasn't just an F. It was like, I got to um, quit this class. <laughs> it was like Kinda a 10% F. F. Or, uh, like, a 10% F. Your, your words were, no, your words were uh, it, this isn't even like a, a semi-respectable F where it's a 55% F. No, this is like a 5 or a 10% F grade against Texas A&M. It's pretty bad. Because it was. No, it's pretty sure. bad. Yeah, but one thing that was, that was mentioned in that, in that diatribe, if you will, is – Talent was never the issue. The issue well, was being mentally tough and being in the right place and not trying to be the hero. Assignment football is the only way to play defense, especially in the SEC and the kind of team speed that is all around the conference. So let's dive right into defense. So Florida obviously seems to have turned it around and in no way – are, are we going to call this defense elite? And we're not even going to call it a great defense. But there have been some pretty clear signs of progress. So a two-part question, and we'll start with Neil. What has impressed you the most about this defense in the, in the last few games? And what do you think this defense still has to work on the most? Neil? 
Well, the big improvement I've noticed is that in the first couple of games of the year, we were getting pushed around in the, in the trenches, and in the last few games, we've been pushed back. Florida's front seven never really got any push at all in the first three games. They didn't get any hits. They didn't get any sacks. They didn't really force any mistakes. But we saw them come to life against Missouri when they got Kyrie Campbell back. And since then, they've definitely taken a major step in the right direction in that department. Still a ways to go, but I do think that there's real reason to hope that they can keep making strides and keep getting better and better at getting push and in turn becoming a defense that can maybe make some plays against an Alabama, make some plays against a Mac Jones or a Trevor Lawrence of Clemson or a Justin Fields of Ohio State. Because again, we are at the point now where we can start talking about those games as a real possibility. As far as what I think the biggest improvement we have to make is the busted assignments got to stop. Like th- th- that's just got to stop happening. I'm going to steal a line from Chris Doring from our pregame episode here. Um, or no, not our pregame, our preseason episode. Football's the ultimate team game in that you can have nine or 10 guys doing their jobs on defense, but one or two don't. And that's exactly where the offense attacks and it's an uncontested touchdown. And we gave up three of them, three really long ones to Arkansas because various players were out of position while the rest of the guys were doing what they were supposed to do. And the week before we got beaten a whole bunch of times by Georgia deep and only because Georgia doesn't have a competent division one quarterback, did we not pay dearly for that? So that's something that's just going to have to get cleaned up if we're going to want to beat Alabama next month. Um, I think the defense, uh, the biggest improvement I've seen over the last couple of weeks is tackling. Um, Marco Wilson made a pretty big tackle the other night on a third down. That could have been a first down easily. Um, that was huge. Uh, tackling has gotten a lot better. Um, you know, uh, those deep balls that Franks was throwing the other night, um, I kind of expected that. Um, he's, he's a really good deep ball thrower. Um, I knew that was going to come. And he was going to take his shots downtown when he had a chance. And, and, and Elam did get burned on that, you know, that go route on the, on the edge there. But um, for the most part, uh, tackling has been extremely better. Um, uh, getting, getting to the quarterback has, has been really good. I mean, Franks was running for his life pretty much most of the night. Um, it looked like he had injured his hand too. And he went to the locker room and came back with a glove on. Um, I think he took a helmet to the hand, but uh, you could tell that that defensive line was motivated to, to hit him on Saturday night. Um, it, it almost looked personal, uh, which, which I thought was kind of funny, but uh, I mean, Zach Carter, man, he's playing with an edge right now. Um, uh, Ventrell Miller had a really good game on Saturday night, uh, made some really nice plays. Um, so, you know, that, that, that run that Arkansas had where it was like, what was 60 yard run or something where he got into the second level and 83 was yards just busted, the touchdown? busted play. The touchdown. Yeah. yeah. Traylon Smith. Yeah. That was yes. 83 yes. yards. I mean, that was 83. Yeah. That was, that was embarrassing. Um, it looked like the, the, the play call was just not right. Uh, but tackling and, and the thing that I, especially, now is the time that Florida's defense needs to start working on what they're going to do in the postseason, as far as the SEC championship game, because you're you are gonna you're not facing the teams with that are highest quality 
as you're going to face in Alabama. So these are kind of the times that you need the next four weeks to clean up the mistakes. Um, I really, I really would like to see the safety play better. I mean, the safe been great all year and it just, it's, I don't know what's going on, but it, it, it showed against Georgia. Um, you know, that, oh man, that, that horrible play that uh, uh, Roseme broke his ankle on. I mean, Brad Stewart just got absolutely torched on that play. Um, and, and that's something I think with, especially with Mac Jones. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw today, there's reports that Jalen Waddle might be ready to come back in December. Um, apparently he's getting his cast off this week and they're saying that he's progressing faster than what they thought he was going to. So if there's a chance that Jalen Waddle is back for the SEC championship game, dear God, help us because that guy's probably the fastest guy in the United States. Well, it's not, it's not, it's not a dear God, help us. It's just, we're going to have to score a lot of points ourselves. (laughs) Because <laughs> we have we have the offense then, to be in any game. Safeties go well. Okay, sure. <laughs> as far as the safeties go, sure. Because I was talking about the safeties, but uh, so that's something that I think needs to improve. And I'm sure a lot of people would agree with me that our safety play has been um, has been below average. And I'll be kind. <laughs> well, um, I mean, Sean Davis is definitely the best we've got. I think that there's going to be some young guys who are going to be good. Rashad Torrance, I think, is going to be a stud. He's not yet. He's not there. Travis Johnson, I, I think, has got a lot of upside. He's not there yet. It's And that's just being real. That's what we do on this pod. We keep it respectful, but we keep it real. And being real means he's not where he needs to be yet in order to help Florida win games like that in Atlanta. He's just not there yet. Could he get there over the next month? It's going to come down to a lot of film sessions over the next month or so and learn some tendencies and just get better at his play recognition. But from what I've seen on tape so far, no, he's just not there. And it's rinse and repeat with 13, man. I mean, he just struggles continuously. And, you know, I hate to say it, like you said, we're real, you know, just being real. But uh, I'm sorry, he, he, he just doesn't get it. He hasn't for a while. And it's unfortunate, um, but – but he's, you know, the old saying goes, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And every time he's on the field, Neil, he's the weakest guy out there. Yeah. I mean, and the thing that that's so frustrating is he has made individual plays that make me think, all right, the guy gets it. There we go. That's a turning point for him. And then he'll take two steps backwards and just undo it. Like the the pick against Auburn, uh, the hit against uh, Fitzgerald at Mississippi State, like that's, that's good awareness. That shows me that you're ready to make contributions at a high level in the SEC. And then he does something like getting caught 20 yards out of position on a big play. So I don't know, man. I, I think we're going to have to win the game with other parts of our defense, put it that way. Or our offense. Yeah. I like how that sounds. All right. So those are the things that have been getting a lot of publicity on the 2020 Florida Gator team. Now, after every game, we do a segment called Our Hidden Gem in which we discuss something that we noticed that may or may not have been super prominent to most who watch the game. What we're going to do is we're going to take that hidden gem concept that we do with the games and we're going to apply that to the season to this point as a whole. What has been something you've noticed so far about this team 
that you think should be getting more attention than it has so far? I mean, <laughs> like you had brought it up earlier, the offensive line play. We haven't talked enough about how good the offensive line has been. And, I mean, look at a guy like Stone Forsythe this year. He's having a really good year. And, you know, we've, we've knocked several guys. I'm not going to name any names on the offensive line for their lack of production. But the fact that, you know, Ethan White, how he looked when he got on the campus to where he looks now, um, you know, it, it's just it's, – it's really, really nice to see a coach like Hevesy be such a developmental guy that he took a bunch of spare parts, really, and made them gel. Um, you know, Florida really hasn't had that five-star recruit, Neil, uh, since Martez Ivy. And Martez didn't really turn out to be all that great. You know, he battled some injuries, struggled at left tackle. They moved him to right tackle. Um, you know, moved Wani Taylor over to left tackle. And, you know, so Florida really didn't have any luck with that. And we've been recruiting a lot of three stars at offensive line. We've missed on some guys like Alex Leatherwood. Um, that was a huge recruit that Florida really needed. And obviously Saban beat us out, <laughs> um, which is understandable, but it still hurts. Um, but the way that this offensive line kind of just came together this year and improved, and I think they're night and day, I just don't think they get enough credit for what Trask is doing right now because they're a big part of it. Yeah, no, it's got to be the offensive line. I think that it's – I mean, usually we all try to pick different hidden gems so that we can all have three different opinions and sort of bring three hidden things to the light of day and let y'all come out and hear three different things that maybe aren't getting a lot of publicity. But it's got to be the offensive line because this unit has taken a monster step forward from 2019. Last year it was okay – in pass pro, it was just plain horrendous in run blocking. And, and that itself is being very generous. It was just awful in run blocking last year. This year, it's a legitimate strength of our team in pass pro, and it's solid in run blocking on top of that. I mean, the whole unit, all of them, Stone Forsyth, Richard Garage, Brett Heggy, Stuart Reese, and you know what? Yes, even Gene DeLance and offensive line coach John Hevesy. Shout out to each and every one of you because this unit with everyone aside from Nick Buchanan from last year back this year and now with Ethan White back, this unit should only be expected to keep getting better and better and better. I, I just can't stop talking about how impressed I am with them. To go from where they were a year ago to where they are now takes a hell of a lot of off-season work that nobody outside the program ever sees, but I do see their result. I do see guys firing off the snap and driving their defender backwards. I do see guys landing heavy initial punches as opposed to just kind of half-heartedly leaning forward. I do see guys playing the solid pad level. I, I even see guys pull blocking with authority, which never happened last year. And even even Gene DeLance did that on that Damian Pierce touchdown run against South Carolina. He lined up on the right side at right tackle, came across to the left side, and cleared a big old jetway for Pierce to just take off through for the score. So shout out to y'all. You're easily the hidden gem of the in all kinds of weather forecast, I think by unanimous count for the first half of the season. 
Unless Dustin has a surprise up his sleeve and goes somewhere else. Dustin, do you care to make it unanimous? I would, but I'm going to go ahead and make the wide receivers the hidden gem for the season. Fair enough. Now, I know, obviously, at this point in time, you're like, man, what are you talking about? The wide receivers have always been pretty good. But coming into the season, Florida had lost four wide receivers to the NFL draft. Many looked at the Florida Gators 2020 prospects at wide receiver, and they compared it to what Georgia went through in 2019 in how they literally only had one solid receiver. So many Gator haters and naysayers said, okay, Florida, you have Kyle Pitts, but who else are you going to have to catch the ball? And if the game against Arkansas was any statement at all, it was this. The Gators have an entire field of playmakers that are not named Kyle Pitts and can catch the ball, can score touchdowns, and can make plays. Even Kyle Trask himself will continually defer the glory of what has been a near-historic season so far for him to his wide receivers, to his guys that are in position to make plays. And I think that there's a lot of merit in that statement. As a, as a former quarterback, high school quarterback, I should say, the quarterback is nothing without the receivers that are catching the ball. A good quarterback with terrible receivers is literally going to make no plays because in every passing play in football, it is a 50-50 proposition. You need the quarterback to make a good throw. And number two, you need the receiver to make a good catch. If either of those are off kilter, it's going to be a, a, a dead play and possibly an interception. All right. I mean, you got a good point there in that we lost Josh Hammond, Freddie Swain, Tyree Cleveland, and Van Jefferson, who, by the way, was a second-round pick and probably would have been a first-round pick if he'd spent the entirety of his career at Florida. So, yeah, we did lose quite a bit of production there, and now we're really just as good through the passing game. Um, and granted, Kyle Trask has taken a step forward. That's definitely a part of that. But the wide receivers have stepped up in in the absence of that quartet, and I think that is fair. I do think the offensive line is more of a hidden gem, but I do think that that is definitely fair to bring up too. So now let's turn our attention to the next opponent, the Vanderbilt Commodores. This is a team that gave Texas A&M a tough game in its season opener. And it gave Kentucky and Mississippi State some trouble in the last three games. But in the three games in between, the Commodores have looked utterly lost. LSU and South Carolina both blew them out by the same 41-7 to score in Nashville. And Ole Miss blew them out to 54-21. to Florida has already beaten two of those teams by two touchdowns. Vandy isn't just 0-6, they're a bad 0-6. Of course, anything can happen on any given Saturday. So Florida's got to go up there and play the game. We all expect Florida to win, of course, but Neil and Joey, for just one second, let's just think about the unthinkable. Is there anything at all about Vanderbilt that Florida should be worried about? I mean, whatever chance Vanderbilt has is going to 
fall on the shoulders of their QB, Ken Seals. Uh, he's actually not terrible for a freshman. He's actually just the third quarterback in Vandy history to ever throw for over 1,000 yards as a freshman. But he's going to have to be Superman on Saturday if the Commodores have any chance because that defense is bad, like really bad. In four of their first six games, they've given up 450 yards or more including South Carolina, by the way, who's offensively inept. And in one of those, they give up 641 to Mississippi. So he's going to have to grow up in a big way if Vandy's going to have any dreams of pulling the shocker. No, Vanderbilt has no chance. Uh, Their defense is ranked uh, 88th in the country. Uh, Their pass defense is ranked 90th in the country, which is – I mean, they, they better just start saying the prayers right now because Trask might throw for 10 touchdowns on Saturday. Um, their total offense is ranked 100th. Yes, Ken Seals actually is having a decent year. Eight touchdowns, eight interceptions, uh, the super pedestrian. Um, they're running back uh, Keon Henry Brooks. Uh, he's pretty decent. Um, they're, uh, yeah, their defense is bad, like you said, Neil. I mean, it's really bad. Um their uh, defensive end, uh, Deo Adeyingbo, I believe his name is. He's got three and a half sacks on the year and 44 tackles. Um, he's their best player. He might present some problems for Florida, um, you know, here and there. But uh, just the town. It's crazy because um, one of my buddies was telling me yesterday, he goes, man, Vanderbilt always gives us problems, no matter how good we are, or how bad they are. And I said, I know, but – this year, this might be the worst Vanderbilt team I've ever seen. And that's actually, that's saying a lot because, Neil, you know, Dustin, we've seen some bad ones. Um, <laughs> and the fact that this might be the worst, um, and, and, and it's sad because Derek Mason's a decent coach, you know, and the fact that their defense is just so bad. But, but they had a lot of players opt out, Neil. What did, didn't they have like several starters opt out before the season? Uh, that were actually decent players. Yeah, at least a dozen players and at least three starters that I can remember off the top of my head. I mean, they were decimated by this offseason. So I can't really, you know, fault him for that. But, uh, yeah, Vanderbilt has no chance. Uh, This game's going to be over probably by midway through the second quarter. I'm actually in a golf tournament on Saturday morning, so I'm probably going to miss the first quarter. Um, But I wasn't even too worried because basically I would just be – it would pretty much be over by the time I, I got got to it. But, um, yeah, no, uh, to answer your question, just no. <laughs> so I think in this game, I think the biggest thing that the Gators have to worry about is not Vanderbilt, but it's about really themselves. It's really easy as a super big favorite to kind of take things easy and not, not focus as much and walk through or in practice and that can't happen espn fbi gives florida a 97.3 percent chance to win the game this is reminiscent of when florida plays the likes of western kentucky or the citadel there's still a a one in 50 chance that vanderbilt makes it super close and potentially does something shocking, which I'm not even going to say. So Florida has to be very careful. But we expect, with the leadership on this team, we expect with Dan Mullen at the helm coaching the Gators that this will not be a trap game. 
uh, before the Gators play the remainder of their season. It won't be a game where they take it easy. Dan Mullen wants the Gators to put on tape a statement of dominance, and this is the perfect opportunity for the Gators to do it. Moving forward, let's assume that the, the Vegas odds makers are correct with their 31.5 point spread and Florida blows Vanderbilt away. And let's say it's a blowout by halftime. We figure Trask will get his numbers. We also figure that Florida's defensive starters will play as expected throughout the first half and a little bit of the second. But let's take a brief moment to look ahead. If the game is ridiculous, Mullen is going to clear his bench at a certain point and let some of the new faces play. Of those new faces, who would you be most excited to see step into action? I'll go Lorenzo Lingard. Um, I think Emory Jones would be a popular pick for a question like this if you were to poll a large portion of the fan base. But I think we've seen enough of him in mop-up duty to know that we won't learn anything new from seeing him in mop-up duty here. But Lingard has been touted by many as the future of the Florida backfield, and he and Demarcus Bowman. Uh, I mean, he got a late... He got some late action against Arkansas, but let's see if we can't get him several more carries here against Vanderbilt. I think he's going to have a lot of work to do to take over for Naquan Wright in the backfield moving forward if we're looking at 21 and 22 um, seasons for Florida. But, I mean, his his journey up the depth chart really starts now, assuming we do get the blowout we're expecting. Uh, it's going to start here. And the hype that most fans are going to have for him is going to start here because he hasn't done it in the game yet. So let's see what you got, Lorenzo. Let's see what you got. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to say Anthony Richardson. Um, I don't know if he's going to dress um, because it is an away game, but I'd, I'd assume he would. Um, but I, I think I'd like to see him get a little more action um, because I don't think he's gotten enough this year. Um, when Emory Jones was out um, with that injury, with that wrist injury, uh, Anthony Richardson really didn't get a chance to come into the game and clean up. So I'd really like to see him get some reps. Um, you know, obviously he came in through that interception that, you know, Arkansas ended up scoring that garbage touchdown off of, but that was a, that wasn't really his fault. Um, I think it was a tip pass. Um, but I, I, I mean, he's, he's going to be our guy after Emory, assuming everything goes to plan. So um, I'd really like to see him get, get some time, especially against a bad defense like that. I want to see more of Gervin Dexter. I know that he had a, a big time play early in the season. At some point early on, he was the only guy to have an interception. And since then, it seems like we haven't really heard his name being called. And he's a guy that I thought early on would potentially be SEC freshman of the year. Obviously, that's not going to happen, but I think it would be great to see him get some playing time. Let's now get to our segment that we, we really enjoy, and it's called The Verdict. What we're going to do is we're going to go around. We're going to give our keys to the game. Let's go ahead and give a defensive key and an offensive key super quick. And then we'll move on to our scores. But first, let's get to our keys. And we will start because, Joe, you're our guest, even though you're, you're a, a vital part of the behind-the-scenes of the 
in all kinds of weather uh, website, and we're super thankful for what you do. Um, we're gonna bring you. We're gonna we're gonna have you and give you the the guest treatment and have you go first on the verdict. So give us an offensive and defensive key. Um, offensively, um, I'd like to see the running game get get a little more action on Saturday. Um, I, I know we talk about Trask and padding his stats and stuff like that, and you know putting him up for the Heisman, but Trask will do Trask things. I'd like to see Naquan Wright get a little more action. Um, he actually ran the ball pretty well the other night. Um, I'd like to see, uh, you know, Dame Pierce get, get involved a little more. Um, Florida's rush offense hasn't needed to be good this year, so they really haven't been great. But um, that's one thing that I'd really like Florida to kind of get going is, is the rush offense. Um, you know, work Trask in on the play action and, you know, I, he's going to do great things, obviously, just, just because, but, um, and, and I think, I, I think Florida can probably score at will or close to it on Saturday. I mean, they've, they've been doing it pretty much to everybody all year anyway. Um, but I'd really like to see the running game get, get going. And I, and I think that that will boost a lot of confidence. Um, and, uh, defensively, um, defensively, I'd like this to be, this is Neil, this is a game where Florida can like feast defensively. Like, and I would really like to see a, a freshman QB like Ken seals throw a couple of turnovers. Um, this defense hasn't really lived up to the DBU hype. We talked about that earlier. And I would really like to see a guy like Marco Wilson, get his confidence back and have an interception or two. Um, and I would really like to see the safeties play really well. And maybe a guy like Sean Davis have a pick in this game. Um, so, you know, and, and maybe a guy like Jaden Hill have a pick in this game. Uh, so I, I really want to see the defense get some turnovers. And this is a game that they could do it because Florida gets, you know, three, four turnovers in this game. Maybe the cough, maybe the juices will start flowing for the rest of the season. Maybe this will be that, uh, that, that kind of turnaround game. And, and I think it has all the makings to possibly be that. So I'm going to show Vanderbilt's program more respect than they've proven worthy of deserving so far this year and treat them like a serious opponent. If they have any semblance of a prayer of pulling the humongous upset, they better be doing a whole lot of ball ripping and tip ball drills this week in practice because I don't think Vandy has a prayer unless they get at least five turnovers against Florida. I mean, these are – two teams that don't recruit from the same pool of talent. So in a game like that, turnovers are the great equalizer and quite frankly, their only path to victory. I mean, Dustin has used the turnover battle as his key to the game several times this year, and he's sort of rolled his eyes and sheepishly admitted, yeah, it's kind of a cop out to do that. But in a game like this, that is the only chance Vanderbilt's got because they do not have the offensive firepower. They do not have the defensive playmakers needed to slow down Florida's offense and they don't have the manpower on either side of the line of scrimmage to even contemplate holding their own on the line of scrimmage, let alone dominating the trenches. So, yeah, it's I, I really think that the bigger game is just how much respect does Dan Mullen have for Derek Mason and how pissed off at him is he still feeling two years after that brawl in Nashville? I think that's going to be far more interesting to track and follow than just who wins and loses this game but that's sort of getting into my pick, but I'll sort of tease that by saying that much. I think, I think there was some history between Grantham and Derek Mason 
um, from what I read up on. I think they had a run-in before that game, and I think that's what started it. That would make sense. But Mullen was yelling, too. Mullen wasn't innocent in yeah. that. Yeah, Mullen was yelling the refs to get him back to the sideline because Derek Mason was running across the field um, screaming at Todd Grantham. So I think that that's what Mullen was saying. because they, I saw a clip of it actually earlier today. Somebody was showing a replay, and Mullen was saying, get him back on his effing sideline. And it, But the, the earlier banter and the, the FUs and the F-bombs were between Mason and Grantham. Fair enough. So I think – this this may be another cop out, but I think the the key on both sides of the ball is going to be mental toughness. I think again, like I was saying earlier, the Gators should completely wipe the field with Vanderbilt. They should do exceptional. Um, I think that if they continue to play their game, they will blow them out of of the stadium. But at the end of the day, the game still needs to be played. And as the game is played, Florida needs to actually show up. And they need to not only show up, but they need to be dominant. If Kyle Trask wants to win the Heisman, if the Gators want to win the national championship, they need to dominate this game. And super quickly, I want to bring up the 2019 LSU-Vanderbilt game because at this point in the season, much comparison is being made between these two teams. And yes, LSU scored 66 points, but Vanderbilt also scored 38 points. Now, they don't have a Vaughn at running back anymore who, who ran for 130 yards, two touchdowns on 20 carries with an explosive 52-yard run in that game. So they don't have the same running back talent they had last year, but there's still a Vanderbilt team that needs to be respected. And as long as Vanderbilt is respected – then Florida should win the game. And that goes for both sides of the ball. Florida, uh, Florida needs to respect Vanderbilt's defense enough to focus in on meetings, to watch film, to find weaknesses, to do exactly what they did to that Arkansas defense. And the same thing goes for the defensive side of the ball. I don't care how, t- how, how, how talented Florida is and how, how, uh, how weak Vanderbilt is if – the defense does not play assignment football, then we'll see a similar result to what we saw in the Ole Miss game where Florida couldn't stop, couldn't stop Ole Miss. You know, Ole Miss is a pretty good offense, so maybe a better example would be South Carolina, uh, who, as we talked about earlier, just fired their coach. Um, but, yeah, my, my key to the game would be mental toughness, and that goes for both sides of the field. So – Everyone's favorite part of the episode has come. We are going to give our score predictions. And as is typical, I'm going to go first and then Neil, and then we'll finish with our guest, Joe. I'm going to go ahead and do it. The Gators will score 73 points. Do you remember when the last time? Neil, when was the last time Florida scored more than 70 points? Well, they got, seven, they got 70 against the Citadel in 2008. I, right. I don't remember the last time they eclipsed 70. It, was, yes. it had to be in the Spurrier years. It did. I know they scored, uh, what is it, 82 in, in 97? Yeah. That was Central Michigan, but have they done it since? I, I don't think they have. Yeah, they, they scored 82 points against 
Central Michigan in 1987, and uh, Doug Johnson had a, had a ball game. So 97. 97. So Florida scored 82 points against Central Michigan in 1997, and Doug Johnson had a ball game. So let's hope Kyle Trask does the same and has a ball game. And my projection is Florida 73 and Vanderbilt 13. I was going to do 73 to nothing, but I, I don't trust this defense enough to pick a goose egg for the opponent yet. So I'll give Vanderbilt 13. So 73 to 13. See, I don't think Florida's going to do anything like that. I don't think that Mullen has any interest in embarrassing Derek Mason. I think Florida could do it if they wanted to. I think if there was bad blood between Mullen and Mason, Florida could score 70 points, but I just don't think they're going to. I think Florida's going to get out to a big lead after a quarter or two. They'll, they'll get Trask, his Heisman stats, let him throw for four or five touchdowns, and then they'll pull him, and then they'll just let Emery or and or Anthony Richardson just kill the clock the rest of the way. So, And I'm, I'm going to say it's only this close because I think Mullen takes his foot off the gas and tries not to humiliate his friend. I'm going to say that Florida wins 55 to 24. I think that the backup defense will let Vanderbilt score some garbage time points. And I think that Florida will have this game well in hand by the time the second half starts. So I think it'll actually be something like 35, nothing or like maybe 42, three or something at halftime. And the second half, we just work on things and don't try to, make it any worse than it has to be. So I'll say 55 to 24, Florida. How about you, Joey? Okay, Neil. Okay, Neil, real quick. So you're picking – you're actually picking Vanderbilt with the points. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's 31 right. points. That's right, 31 and a half. Yeah, that's right. I guess I am taking them to cover. Yeah. Wow. And, again, it, this has nothing to do with the, the talent disparity. Florida could win this game by 60 if they choose to. I just don't think they will choose to because I think Mullen's going to try to keep things respectful with his friends. That spread actually dropped, by the way. It's down to 30 and a half right now. Okay, so then I guess I am taking Florida to cover. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we did say 31 and a half uh, earlier in the pod, so I was staying to that number. But thank you for – the number, Joe, and Live speaking of which, here. let's get let's get two numbers from you. What's the score going to well, be? Tell I, us. I appreciate Dustin. Your your I appreciate your enthusiasm. I appreciate your your candor. I appreciate you know you saying that you think that highly of Florida's offense because I. But Vanderbilt's still an SEC opponent. Um, it's not like the Citadels coming to town um, and playing at the Swamp. So uh, Florida will, I, I kind of lean towards Neil. Um, I think Florida gets out to a big lead in the second half and kind of takes their foot off the gas. Um, but I, I, I actually think Vanderbilt's going to cover the spread. I think they're going to cover the 30. I think, I think Florida wins 48 to 17. Um, That's I could 31 see, still. Um, that still has Florida cover. 31, yeah, 31. Okay, I'll take I'll take forty eight to twenty. Um, I think Vanderbilt scores a couple garbage touchdowns in the fourth quarter, maybe two, um, to kind of make it look a little closer than the game was. Um, Florida has a tendency in the second half to do to do exactly that to take their foot off the gas. Um, we saw it against Georgia 
Um, you know, we kind of saw it a little bit against Arkansas in the fourth quarter. Arkansas obviously scored that late touchdown and 35 points on Florida's defense, which I think it should have been two touchdowns less than that. So, but I, I do, I think, I think Trask gets pulled probably in, in the third quarter sometime. They start running the ball a lot. Um, so, yeah, I'm going 48 to 20, uh, the Gators. Yeah, those are all very respectable scores. And in any case, Florida is going to roll. Kyle Trask is going to continue to build his case for the Heisman Trophy. And the Gators will get another victory as they move through this all-SEC schedule and uh, as they inch closer to a matchup with Alabama on December 19th, which we're all very excited about, assuming everything moves forward as we anticipate. So real quick, since we didn't already do it, Joey, how can people find you on the interwebs? Yes, uh, follow me at I-A-K-O-W, Joe. Again, that's I-A-K-O-W, Joe. Um, a lot of people that did previously follow me from the recruiting site have moved over and followed me on my personal page. Um, so, yeah, give me a follow. Um, I'll be coming out with another article this week, uh, kind of um, looking forward to Trask's second half Heisman campaign. So look for that that article to be up. And um, as we get closer to the SEC championship game, um, there will be a lot, a lot of things to write about and a lot of things to prepare for. <laughs> yeah, and as, as in all kinds of weather.com expands, Joey, I will be leaning on you heavily as I cover recruiting. I know that we'll, we'll certainly be having a lot of lengthy discussions as we get closer to the early signing period and then ultimately in early February where we will have our, our uh, final signing day for the 2021 class. So a lot to look forward to with that. But without further ado, let's go ahead and wrap up this show. And that's all we've got today for the In All Kinds of Weather forecast. As always, if you've enjoyed our show, we encourage y'all to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify and give us a five-star rating and a nice review. Again, special thanks to you, Joey for joining us today. We've enjoyed your very thoughtful and insightful perspective, and we definitely will have you on again soon. I look forward to reading more of your written work on inallkindsofweather.com. Now, thank you to you both. Uh, you have been extremely gracious hosts, and I appreciate you allowing me the time to come on and talk Gator football. I, it's it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So, Of course, man. Hey, man we look forward to having you on again. We'll do this again sometime soon. I want to thank you for listening to us, and I'll just say this. Go Gators! Go Gators!